Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we've got a great show today. We've got Becca Ribbing, and she's the author of The Clarity Journal, and she's been a coach for over a decade. She's on a mission to help people break out of the cycles of uncertainty and struggle that holds them back. She helps women going back and forth with the big, seemingly endless question of what to do next so that they can stop going round and round in circles and finally figure out what they truly want and create the clarity and the momentum that they crave. Becca, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this call. Well, you know, I know how hard it is. I work with a lot of people. A lot of clients have anxiety, depression, ADHD. And when you have something like that going on, it makes it even harder to find clarity. And it's hard enough as it is. Um, You know, it just makes me wonder. I love the name of the book, The Clarity Journal. Sounds like you put some thought into finding clarity. Yeah, so I have been a coach for a long time, and I I really have worked with many, many people on just this particular problem, like finding clarity is kind of my sweet spot. But it's so funny because as we grow and change, we all go through these cycles of trying to figure out what's next. And that includes coaches. (laughs) So I came up with the clarity journal because I was in my own life transition. I had, um, had had my second child and he is wonderful and through no fault of his own, like just so many things happened. I had a bad chiropractic exam when I was in, when I was pregnant. So I ended up um, having to use a cane for most of my pregnancy. I, uh, we moved from Washington, DC to Seattle, Washington in my third trimester. And then the baby was born and he, um, he was, he's wonderful, but he had chronic ear infections. And so he just like really fussy for the first year of his life. And I really felt like I was underwater. And so, you know, you, you do what you do when you're underwater, you just get, you get it, get it done. Like make sure everyone survives. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can like appreciate that right now coming out of the pandemic, they probably felt like they were just trying to get through this. And I like, as I was coming out, you know, I had let go of a lot of things just trying to get through the days. And I, I started doing what we do when we are feeling stuck, when we're feeling like we don't have clarity about what the next choice is. We talk about with our friends. And a lot of times we do this thing where we talk about the problem over and over again, almost like like wrote, we have this thing we're saying to ourselves, we're looking at the problem in a very specific way. And we say it over and over again. And so I was talking to my friend and she's great. She stopped me and this is probably like the fifth time I talked to her about it. And she was like, you know what, Becca, this is what you do for a living. You're a coach. Like, how do you help people gain clarity? And just having that question was so powerful. I got off the phone and I really did. I wrote down 
every question I could think of that I ask my clients to help them get clear. And as I was writing those questions down and really working through them, I just realized how powerful it is to have these questions framed in a different way where you are getting outside of yourself and looking for the solution instead of whatever that cycle that you're stuck in, that pattern that you're stuck in of how you're looking at it that's keeping you stuck. And so I really, I ran with it and decided that it needed to be a book. And, and here we are. Wow. And you know, sometimes I know I I wrote my first book, turn your brain on to get your game on for pretty much, you know, simple reasons. I just wanted everybody to know it is okay to not be okay. So it's sometimes the, the most simplest reasons provide us with the right motivation. So let's say that if you've reached a point in your life and and you've realized, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I don't even know where to start. How do you get started? I think that the getting started part is actually recognizing that there's a problem because a lot of times I think that people look for externals to fix it. You know, when you start not liking your job or, you know, if you get a new boss and you don't like him or her, you really end up just hoping something's going to change, hoping you get a promotion, hoping that your boss changes, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. And so really being able to actually stop and recognize that you're not happy is the first step to, I think, taking control of it. Because if you can really recognize that you're not happy doing what you're doing, it really puts the, the it shifts it back to you. Like, okay, you are responsible for your own happiness. You're responsible for your own purpose. Like, it would be great if outside forces were giving it to you easily, but there is no good reason to stay stuck long-term when it's, you know, not easy to job search, not easy to do any of this. But on the other hand, it's also not easy to stay where you are and be unhappy. Well, you know, it's not. And I think, you know, you make a very good point. We know what's making us unhappy. And instead of trying to, you know, create that change from within, we try to create that change from outside. You know, maybe those neighbors will move, you know, or or maybe they'll, they'll get a different dog that doesn't bark all night long. And, and it's just our first reaction is to think about what we can change on the outside of us. It's not our first reaction to look within. And, you know, I talk with my clients and my, one of my first pieces of advice is just ask yourself, what do you need? You know, mm-hmm. What do you need today? I love that. And I think that also, like, what do you need when you started, when you introduced me, you started out with talking about like how it's even harder if you have ADHD or even harder if there's something else going on. And I think that looking at what you need is just so important because it's really easy to look at what you think society wants you to do. Uh, or it's really easy to think about what other, like what your teachers or your parents or your spouse wants for you. But what do you need is just so central to all of this. And we all know what we don't need and we all know what we don't want. Sometimes it's harder than where I find working in my in my practice. It's much harder to get people to understand what do you need and what do you want? Well, I can tell you what I don't want. Well, okay, that's good to know. But more importantly, what do you want? And it's almost like, you know, a process that you can see people start to go through. And it's like, okay, well... Let me stop and look at what I have right now. 
you know, and you can see them kind of go through a checklist personally, professionally. Oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. And then you have to get to the point, well, what else do you want? Yeah, I think that sometimes what they really want is scary. Like, as if what really needs to happen is a change, change can bring up a lot of fear, insecurity. And so a lot of times when I get someone on the phone, you know, we'll talk for a good long time about what they feel like they should do. But they feel like what the answer should be. And they don't, and they obviously don't have energy behind it. And about 15, 20 minutes in, I'll pause them and I'll be like, okay, so is there anything that you haven't mentioned to me that is kind of in the back of your mind about things that you might want to do? And as soon as they start talking about what you might want to do, like it starts getting more creative and it starts becoming really obvious that a lot of times it's, the thing that they might want to do is actually the thing they really want to do. And they are so scared of admitting it to themselves that they keep pushing it aside. But then it just keeps, it's like a nagging thought that keeps popping back up and it makes it really hard to decide because they're not giving it full energy. They're not really shining a light on it to figure out, okay, is this the thing I'm going to do because they are scared of it? It's like, they don't want to dive into it. Well, you know, and, and oftentimes I'm seeing it can take a while for people. First, you have to get comfortable with the idea. Maybe I could do that. Because um, I'll talk with people and we'll be laughing. They'll, you know, I couldn't do that. And I think you could. Why don't you think you could? You think I could? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> okay, well, okay, maybe I could. So it's like creating that awakening within them because we all put ourselves in these box. We have that negative chit chat, you know, going on in our brain. You can't do that. You shouldn't even try to do that. And when you stop that negative chit chat, you change that conversation. It opens up a lot of doors. It sure does. Well, and when you're even aware of the negative chit chat, it just, it really helps to bring yourself back to like your authentic self, as opposed to whatever voices in your head you've accumulated along the way. So once you get, you know, past those voices or, you know, you, and I know you talk about, I think you talk about mindfulness in, in your book. And, and I always say, you know, once you can quiet the brain down, then you quiet those voices down. And once you get those voices quiet, then you can start to really move forward. You know, so I learned how to meditate from a 13-year-old girl. I was 12. She was, I was living in New Jersey, and she was from California. She spoke like a valley girl, uh, long blonde hair, just like the whole package. And she, she's the one who taught me how to meditate. We were, I thought she was the coolest thing ever. And, but when you learn how to meditate from a kid, they take away all of the angst about it. Like they're just not really, they don't care about the rules. And so literally like how I learned to meditate is you sit cross-legged, you put your hands on your knees and all you do is you follow your breath in and out. And I think that's really powerful because it simplifies it. And I think another thing that sometimes we lose sight of when we are meditating or when we're teaching meditation is like, yes, the end goal is to let go of those thoughts. But a really key component of that is to noticing the thoughts first. Like if you notice them, 
then you can let them go easier. If you aren't even noticing them, then you're not hearing what they're trying to teach you or tell you. And so I think that if anyone's listening to this who hasn't gotten into meditation, really try approaching it like for more of a spirit of curiosity, more of like a childlike spirit where you can like really explore yourself and and do it for as long as is comfortable. You know, if it's comfortable to start out with four minutes, that's great. That's still more my, more attention that you're paying to your own mind and like calming yourself than you did without those four minutes. I think sometimes people get hung up on the time as well. I think you're right. And I think too, a lot of times when people hear the word meditate, they think of it as a spiritual exercise. And for some people it is, but it doesn't have to be. Because um, I've had I've had people say, well, you know, Lee, that's spiritual, and and I'm not really a spiritual person, and I'm like, no, breathing is not spiritual. Breathing is necessary to life. So focus on your breath. I love that. That is so is so true. Because it really does. I mean, it can be spiritual. You can add a whole religious component to it, but it, but breath is life, and and being calm and centered within yourself that's not spirituality that's just like the most genuine self-care that you can give yourself absolutely so you know let's say that we finally get people to where they can because the hardest part to me about meditating is just being so quiet and just listening to listening to the universe listening to what's out there um that's to me, that's the, just quieting myself down. You know, if I'm either moving around or I'm thinking and I just have so much going on in my brain. And when I can become quiet and at peace with myself, then I can start I can start to see the clarity. Exactly. Yes, totally. I love that. I like how you, how you describe that because we really do need to let go of that chatter and everyone has it. Like I, I think that it's really important to point out that like literally everyone has it. Your therapists have that chatter. Your coaches have that chatter. No one's above the chatter. It's just how you manage it. No, you're right. And, and instead of it managing you, because that's usually what happens is we let it run us around. And when we learn that, no, no, we need we need to be the one pushing those buttons, it gets it a whole, whole lot easier. Yeah. So one of the problems, not problems, but one of the challenges that I've seen with, with people that are looking for clarity is sometimes you do, you got to face, the, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, I think that... It is hard, but I think that if you can do it, you can be gentle with yourself. Um, I, I think that a lot of people look at the Clarity Journal or just a lot of these different tools that there are out there, and it feels scary or daunting because you're moving five steps ahead. Like you're actually like trying to picture yourself after you've finished, as opposed to just really worrying about the first step. The first step is to pick a journaling prompt and just explore. And I think that we do that a lot just in life is we, we focus on the end goal instead of all of the little steps that go into getting to the end goal. And I think that makes it scarier because it means you have to, you know, 
address everything or be aware of everything that's causing you fear. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be done all at once. You can take baby steps and make it more comfortable for yourself while still moving forward. So do most people take those baby steps or do most people just want to jump right in? I think, I think one of the baby steps is buying the journal and then waiting for a little bit. I think a lot of people do this thing where it's like they'll hear about something and they'll wait a little bit and then like they'll, they'll jump right in maybe, but if they jump right in a lot of times they'll jump right in for like a couple pages and then they need to take a break because your brain really needs time to process what it is that you're like, what you're figuring out about yourself. And it, it's something that you've been so used to pushing away, most likely, that, that you really do need the downtime, the calm time to allow yourself to have the aha moments. Well, and the aha moments are really, I think, what for me, oftentimes, it's what motivates me. You know, when I stop and I look back at something, I think, wow, I'm really proud of myself for doing that. Um, or, wow, you know, I did I did a better job than I thought I did on that. That's motivating to me. It really is. And I think that it's also, it, that energy also helps you move forward. Like, if you can have one of those moments, then it becomes less scary and you can move forward with the next. And just, like, really be affirming that this is the path you need to be on right now. And I think that affirmation comes when we, you know, I think I just feel it when I know I'm doing the right thing, when I know I'm on the right path, I can just feel it. I can feel it in my body. I can feel it in my, my heart, my soul. And that is when I, my thoughts are crystal, crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that also when you're, when you're moving forward, the energy that comes from it, I, I really talk about flow a lot, not necessarily in the Clarity Journal, but with my clients, because the more that you can really get back to yourself, get back to that, like being centered and hearing what you need, the more you're going to be in flow. And then the more that things don't feel as much like work. And I think that that is ultimately what a lot of people want is they want their work not to feel like work. And they don't really know how to make that happen because we don't really teach that in school. Like in school, you're not supposed to look at someone else's test. That's cheating. Like you're not supposed to like ask for help and you're supposed to ask for help. But like then once you ask for help, you're kind of made to feel bad about not knowing it in the first place. And then a lot of times in school, we, I mean, I find myself doing this with my own kids. Like, it's like you, you, your kid gets a great grade in writing, but they didn't do as well in math. You're always going to say, oh, like, good job on writing, but you really need to buckle down about math or I really need you to like really work harder at this or whatnot. And we end up starting to internalize that so much that we say it to ourselves. And I think that that's one thing about finding clarity that I hope for most people what their clarity is, is being more aware of their own strengths and truly valuing them. Because a lot of times when I'm talking to a client, I will, um, you know, I'll just be asking them lots of questions and like really hearing their history. And as that happens, I'll ask them, Hey, are you aware that this is a strength of yours? 
almost always they'll get really quiet and not quiet in necessarily a good way quiet in a like i'm not sure i believe you sort of way and what comes up is that because it comes easy to them they don't value it because it isn't a struggle because it's not something they had to really learn or process like it just came easy they don't value it and it's funny because i find a lot of times they also are struggling with since they think it should be easy it actually ends up creating tension with their coworkers sometimes because they expect their coworker to be able to do it easily too and i always laugh because they're like because because some people i can actually pick pick that out it's like okay you're wanting them to be like you but we really need to think about what their strengths are and what are they bringing to the table because it w doesn't work to have a world full of everyone with one strength it was so funny i was saying this um on a podcast recently and the woman laughed um she had been a radio host for a long time and then started her own podcast and she was pretty successful at it and um, obviously very extroverted. <laughs> so she laughed because she said, you know what I was told when I was in school, every single report card said she needs to stop talking so much. <laughs> Well, she she played that card well, didn't she? She played that card well, but how many other kids, you know, if they're constantly told they need to stop talking, they don't recognize that that talking is a strength. You know, they don't, like, there are, for every one of her, there's another kid out there, I can guarantee you, that feels like, that that subconsciously is hiding their voice because they were told to stop talking so much. Yeah, and that's a shame because sometimes once we lose our voice, it's hard to get it back. <sighs> Tell me about it. It really is. So let's say that, you know, you you've, you feel confident. You feel like you've reached the time in your life where you're ready. You know, you're ready to start moving forward. Do you use gratitude as a way to, to kind of ground people? I actually, in the Clarity Journal, start with gratitude because I think that when you are seeking clarity, being able to really appreciate what, what is going well in your life is so important because when people are in a bad situation or just like an uncomfortable situation, a situation they don't like, they have a tendency to really lose sight of what is good about the situation. And I find that a lot of times people will jump from one thing to the next without really thinking it through and making sure they're not losing anything when they make that jump or convincing them th themselves that the thing that they're going to lose is okay. They don't, it doesn't matter to them as much as they think it does. So I really feel like starting with gratitude, starting with what's going well even if you struggle with that because it doesn't feel like there's much going well right now um is just so important and you can take a step back if it's if it's really hard like if you've been laid off and you're really depressed or whatnot like i know there are times where it's hard to start with gratitude but you can always then start with like what went well in another like, in a previous job like there's always like information there about when things are going well what does that look like for you well you know and, and you can always start with yourself you know what i what i admire about myself what do i love about myself yeah oh i like that yeah and 
And if you have a hard time with that, you can also ask a friend, what do you like about me? Because sometimes I think that people have a hard time if they're really down. Um, I think I'm thinking about my friends that are like that struggle with depression. They may not be able to answer that question, but I certainly could answer it for them, you know, and, and their other friends could answer it for them. So seeking that out, I think that seeking out support and help in healthy ways is just also so important. I think you're right. And I think that, that it's easy to seek help in unhealthy ways. I mean, you know, we'll start to self-medicate with alcohol or with drugs um, or with tel- watching too much television or too much shopping, but it's, it's not a healthy way to deal with it. And being able to tap into the goodness that comes within you it's such a, it's so much healthier. And don't you feel good when you're around people and you can tell they feel good about themselves. They get, they give me energy. They energize me. Oh yeah. And it, it helps. I mean, it's just, it, it grows. Like the more that you're around people that have that energy, the more it is easier to have it with yourself. And I think that we really don't spend a lot of time thinking about who is nourishing us, like nourishing our psyche and who is detracting from it. Like who is, you know, maybe too negative or maybe just isn't listening well. And there are a lot of different ways where that can show up in a relationship, but the paying attention to how you're feeling in relationship to other people is really I think very important for being able to set yourself up in a space that nourishes you. I think you're right. I mean, set yourself up for success. And to some degree we, we can, and to some degree we can't, you know, if you've got a job where you feel like your coworkers are making it more difficult for you, um, you can't change that. You can put some energy into trying to change how you respond to them But, you know, you have to focus, what I always tell my clients, focus on what you can can control, not what you can't control, because what you can't control is just wasted energy. And it's, we, I need all the energy that I have. And I think everybody does. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, I could, I could actually go on and on about that, but I know we're coming close to the break Um, because I do feel like. If you aren't happy because your coworkers are miserable, you actually do have more agency than I think a lot of times you than people give themselves credit for because you really can change jobs. Um, it may take a while, um, and there are also things you can do to like help minimize the impact of those relationships. And I think it's just important to recognize that if something's not working for you, that you need to change it. Well, I think you're exactly right. And, and nobody, you can't change the other people and you can't right. change the environment. You can, you can change yourself, but you know, just, you can also change how you react in those situations because sometimes, I mean, I had two boys and growing up, they each knew how to push the other's button. And sometimes I think they just did it for fun. And every time that one pushed one's button, they reacted and they responded, you know, and I coached them separately. Well, you're giving him exactly what he wants. If you don't do that, he'll quit doing it. And it was amazing that they realized it took a while, but it was amazed. It, it amazed them and it amazed me when they realized it's how they react in those situations. And if they change their reaction, they'll change what happens. 
We're going to go to a break, but when we come back, we have a lot more to talk about, you know, about how you find your clarity and what you need to do. We'll be back after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Man cannot live by bread alone. He must have his peanut butter. Peanut butter is a pate of childhood, and it's not just for kids as dogs love it too. Last night I gave my dog a pill hidden in peanut butter. What's a word for a messy concoction that helps the medicine go down? Sliver sauce. Mice apparently prefer peanut butter to cheese when it comes to luring them into the trap. But there are even more practical uses for peanut butter. Peanut butter contains natural oils, which makes it perfect for removing all kinds of sticky things, like gum stuck in your shoe or in your hair. What's a word for the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth? Arachibutophobia. And according to Barry Goldwater, if you don't mind smelling like peanut butter for two or three days, peanut butter is a darn good shaving cream. It's marching down. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back. You know, and we spent a good amount of time in the first half of the show really talking about how you define the challenge. What do you have to do to start the search for clarity? Starts with you got to be fair to yourself. You got to see where your barriers are, where you're stuck. You got to see what the challenges are. And but sometimes we can be energized by those challenges. And once we get to that point, what do we do next, Becca? Ah, well, I think one of the first things to recognize is that when you are trying to figure out clarity, the clarity that you are looking for isn't going to be clarity for the next 30 years. It's going to be clarity for the next two, three years. We're always growing and changing. I think that when we can really embrace that spirit of like human growth, I mean, no one is listening to this show right now who doesn't want to grow and change and, you know, maximize who they are, their authenticity. And that is going to look like a different thing at every stage of your life. Because as soon as you meet a challenge, we almost naturally start looking for the next challenge. And I think that so finding the next step, if you can look at it from that standpoint of this is an ongoing life process, whatever ever I come up with today, this month, like it is going to grow and change into something 
beautiful and amazing and that's great. I don't need to have all of the answers to be on a better path. And I think that's my first step for most people is really embracing this fact that they are really on their own journey and that journey is going to lead to a place that they actually are not going to be able to conceive of at this current moment. And just like, really focus on the, the the next step, couple steps. I think you make a very good point is because as we, we, we all grow and what I've, I'm starting a PhD program two years ago, I didn't want that two years ago. I mean, I thought it sounded good, um, but I wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted. And now that's, that's my goal. So I think you're right. We have to keep a perspective that our goals are ever evolving and that as time goes on, we'll move on. Exactly. And having trust in that process, because I think what happens is sometimes people will get stuck in that feeling like they have to have the, this right answer that's going to last forever when that's not actually humanly possible. And I think as soon as you can let go of that, you actually start being able to be expansive. Okay, what does this step look like? Like, you know, what does, what does the PhD look like? I imagine whatever the PhD looks like for you right now, by the time you're in like your six or seven and like almost through with your dis dissertation, it's going to grow and change with you as well because you're going to learn so much. And I think we have spent so much time in kind of, I sometimes jokingly call this like the Google generation because we feel like. We should be able to look something up and just know the answer. And that you know, detracts from this idea that what really matters is human experience. When you take a piece of information, you filter it through your entire experience and you really make it your own. And I just love the idea of really becoming comfortable with this, the, the idea of growth and the idea of reaching out to people when you need help and not staying bogged down and feeling like you need to have this life path that's very set and rigid because our grandfathers and our grandmothers grew up with that like rigid step-by-step -step progression. But honestly, like the jobs that are going to be here in 10 years don't exist today. There certainly is a huge shift. I mean, you're, you're right about that. Um, and we're ever evolving. And after the pandemic, I think we've all learned that if we're not happy doing what we're doing in a job, we can quit. More Americans are walking away from their job today than they have been in 40 years. Yeah, I, when I look at those statistics, I'm always stunned because when we first started the pandemic, I was really worried. I've worked, you know, I, I've been a coach since um, before 2008. So I was coaching during the last downturn. And the thing that's been so interesting to me is I really, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, oh, I'm not going to get any of the clients. I really love these clients that want to like figure out what they want to do next because I get a lot of unemployed clients that are just feeling stuck. And even my unemployed clients have such a... Um, greater sense of agency and empowerment and okay well I'm I don't want to be doing what I was doing so we're gonna have to figure something else out and I think there is a really big shift I think it's easy to like focus on the bad things about the pandemic but because there are plenty and I'm not dismissing that but I think this like shift towards 
being self-aware of like what you want is just so powerful. And I really am kind of excited to see how this evolves in the next couple of years. Well, and, and I think it will evolve. And I think that our friends, our families, they, they play a big role in our journey. Yeah, they do. And I think that they, they, I mean, hopefully they are the support that makes it possible. And I, I am going to be curious as people start focusing more on what makes them happy um, and, you know, quitting jobs that really are making them miserable. Like, I, I hope it normalizes it a little bit more because I think that we haven't, um, as a society, really hit that point where we are empowering each other all the time to look for something greater and bigger well, I know that as we, you know, we start to dream and we start to think about what we could have. I, I know when I do that, my my visions get bigger and and it's a good place to be. It's fun to be there. And as long I feel like as long as I'm doing what I can to move towards those, then it's time well spent. Exactly. Although I imagine that the PhD, I mean, that's quite a a jump to go back into a PhD program. I, I think that I, I love that actually. When you said that, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. That's so like enriching and talk about a cool challenge. Well, it is today. We'll see where I am and we'll see where I am in six months. But but it is something I'm excited about. And I think that's something that, you know, that's kind of my I'm going to dream. I think I'm going to have the best time. I think I'm going to learn so much. I can already start putting a picture together in my in my head. And I my goal is to never, ever lose sight of that. I love that. So for people out there that, you know, maybe their goal is certainly something that's just, you know, I just want to change jobs or I just, I just want to get into a I want a new roommate. I don't want to live with this person anymore. And while those are, you know, they seem a lot more small scale, they're not because they're just as challenging in our head as anything else is. So how do you kind of coach people around that? I think that um, when I'm coaching people, there's a lot of work on self-compassion to begin with because a lot of times if they haven't shifted, it's because they're having issue challenges around whether they should really want it. And I really like helping people figure out, you know, that, that their dreams are really worthwhile. Whatever that dream is, it's worthwhile and it informs who you are. And even if you're not going to go for like becoming like a world famous artist, like even if you're going to like stay in your graphic design job, like being able to like, even incorporate your dreams more and more into your life is really, really enriching. And I think that sometimes people think that it's all or nothing. I don't think that going after our dreams has to be an all or nothing, like quit your job in a fiery fit. I think one of the things that I often laugh about is I, you know, if someone comes to me and they do have some really interesting dream, like I want to go become a musician or I want to become an artist, you know, those are, those are a little bit harder, um, because we all have the like self-talk, the society talk of like starving artists, but 
Yeah, I will point out, you know, you've been at the job that you're at for quite a long time and they really like you. Like, have you considered going part time? Like, have you considered asking them for, you know, a four day a week schedule? So you just have a little bit more space in your schedule to do what you love. Sometimes the answer isn't throwing everything up and seeing where the cards land. Sometimes the answer for a lot of people is taking kind of a safe and methodical path, but while they're actually energized by it because it is more in alignment with who they are. And you know that that makes sense because sometimes we we think we have to move so quickly and we don't. And sometimes the more the more we move with intent and we're deliberate the more successful we are. Yeah, and I think that like we have, I work with a fair number of people that are older, like, I mean, not old, but like late 50s, early 60s. And when I hear their stories and they're like, I should have done this so much earlier. You know, even then there's so, I mean, you weren't going to retire when you were 62 anyway. Like there is so much time left, but on the other hand, like if you don't get started, you're just, you're wasting that potential. And I think that it's one of the things that I really, I'm, I tell everyone, it's like life is short. Like if you, if you wait until it's perfect or you wait until you're comfortable, like with the wholesale change, instead of doing it incrementally in a way that makes you feel like safer and a little bit more comfortable, like, yeah, sure. The safer, more comfortable route might end up taking longer, but it will be long-term more fulfilling and, and that's okay. Like what, however it looks like to you is actually okay. So how long do you think it usually takes people to, to make the transition in their head? I mean, it starts with, is this something I, is, is this a time? Do I need clarity? I want clarity. Am I ready to do it? Is it not too much work? Um, what are the challenges? What is the time frame that you've seen people move through that? I think it depends on how much support you have in your life. I mean, I've seen people try for long periods of time before they've hired a coach um, or hired me. And, and I think that a lot of times that is because they have too many shoulds in their head. Um, so I think it's, I think that's highly individual Be, and also highly specific to the point in life that you happen to be in. Like if you have two small children, it's going to take a little longer and that's okay. Uh, maybe, or if you're a personality type where it's not going to take longer, I think it has to do more with personality type and comfort with risk. And so I, I would hate to give a time frame. when I work with someone one-on-one, they've already been struggling with it for quite a while. Usually when I'm working with someone one-on-one, it takes somewhere between two and three months for them to really start feeling confident um, that, that, that they are, that they know what shift they want to make. Uh, but I don't want to like dismiss all the work they did before they met me. I think that's important too, you know, to appreciate what people, where people have been and where they're going and not to kind of undercut what they've done on their own. 
Yeah. I always laugh. People will send me emails saying, oh, I told, you know, Robert about you and I think he really needs you. And I always laugh because they're always like, I hope he contacts you right away. <laughs> I always laugh because they never contact me right away. If they contact me, it's going to be three to six months from now because they have to go through the process of really deciding whether they can do it on their own, whether they have done it on their own. And I think that the biggest piece of advice I could give to anyone is if you are struggling with this um, and, if, and you're having a hard time accessing the dreams, then I think that having a deadline for yourself. Like I'm, if, if I haven't figured this out within two or three months, I'm going to get help because that just sets you up so much better for both taking it seriously and for moving forward. Because if you get the help you need to move forward, you're going to feel a lot less alone. Well, that's for sure. I mean, I feel like when I, when I've, I know that I have support from my friends and my family, and I know I'm not alone. I feel stronger. I definitely feel stronger. Stronger. Yeah. So, you know, we've you kind of get the idea of where you want to go, and now you're to the point where you need to start tying it together. How do you kind of bring everything together and make it happen? You know, it's funny because it's hard to talk about, like, on a you know, on a radio show in, because it's, it is so highly individual, but almost everyone has those three things they've been thinking about. Like they're not uh, rarely is someone totally starting from scratch and deciding like what, what they, what they're even interested in. And so the tying it together is really like figuring out what the next, what the next step looks like. And then figuring out what those individual little steps are. Because I alluded earlier in the program, it's like when you try to take big leaps, that is harder to manage. So to me, tying it all together is creating actionable steps that can move you in the direction where you want to be that are you know, easier to act on, easier to execute than something really big. Like, so say, say one of the things you want to do is start a blog. Like, you could easily say, oh, well, I want to have the blog up and running and have a bunch of um, blog posts. But to me, like breaking it down into really small chunks, I need to figure out what the title is. I need to figure out, you know, exactly who I am targeting. I need to figure out all, like the, my my color scheme. Then I need to figure out the graphics that go on top of the color scheme. Then I'm going to write my about page, like breaking it down into those really small um, chunks does make it a lot easier to feel like you have a momentum. And the thing that I think that is most important about it is if you get stuck, if you run into a period of time where you don't have as much energy towards it, it's easier to get back to it. Like if you've broken it down into littler steps, then you know what you need to do. And even if you end up taking a month off because, you know, someone got sick or whatever, some like a big project blew up at work, you can come back to it and know where you're supposed to be. That's great. That is super. That really is. Being able to do that and, and you know, that... I think that when I lose momentum personally, it's when I, I feel like I, I don't know, I've missed something. And as long as I know that I, I feel like I'm on, I'm in step and I'm moving forward, I mean, I keep my momentum going. 
So I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this a lot in this um, call, but I think that having those friends and, and, you know, mentors that can also help when you get stuck, because I find that when people get stuck and they actually know what they want to do, a lot of times the where they've gotten stuck is they're trying something new and they aren't really feeling sure that they're on the right path. And so making sure like with outside people, I, I often tell people, you know, if you reach out to 10 people that are doing what you want to do, but they're doing it, maybe they have like two more years experience. If you reach out to 10 of them and just ask if you can pick their brain, eight of them are probably going to ignore you because it was too, they were too busy at the time. But two of them will probably say, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to jump on a Zoom call with you. Um, what works best for you? And I think that that, you know, I hear from younger people a lot like, oh, I wish I had a mentor. I wish I had a mentor. And mentors usually are found like it's not someone stepping in and offering to be a mentor to you it's you actually reaching out and and showing that you want it because you know a lot of people have a hard time you know the best mentors are going to have a slightly hard time giving advice you know people who like giving advice aren't necessarily the best mentors the people that would like automatically be like yeah sure like i'm going to help fix your life those aren't the mentors you want. The mentors you want are the ones that really are going to listen to you, really are going to like be respectful of boundaries, but also just be invested in you. Well, you make a good point because a good mentor is as much a good listener as anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, it's really special when you can find those people. And I think that we forget, we like doing that, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure almost everyone that's listening to this you know, if someone who is like a couple of years younger than you or a couple of more years less experienced than you just wanted to pick your brain and like kind of get your thoughts, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, sure. I mean, if you weren't overwhelmed and busy at the time, you'd be like, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. And, you know, I mean, maybe not try to pick the brain of someone who does this professionally, like helps people professionally, maybe not try to pick the brain of a coach or, you know, a therapist, but really like getting comfortable with asking. I think that's great advice. And I think that, you know, I I can remember a couple of times when I was in difficult situations and somebody reached out to me and helped me. It made me want to help others. It really did. I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this made my life so much easier. I want to, I want to do that for somebody else. Paying it forward is, is just so powerful and you're right. We do. It's almost contagious in a really good way. Oh, it is. So people, you know, they've kind of, they've got their system in place. They've got their support going and what's next. How do they, what's the next step for them? I think just continuously coming back to what they want because we all get, sidetracked we all you know we all have moments of fear and so being able to have a really clear vision of what it is you want I think helps move you forward and and making sure you're getting the support you know recognizing that if something's not going right that's not necessarily on you exactly but what what it is on you to do is like get the help you need to move forward what if you know what if they change your mind. You know, this is what I thought I wanted to do. And now I don't. How do you deal with that? 
I think it really depends on whether they actually have changed their mind or they're giving up. Uh, I think those are two very different energies because when someone changes their mind, a lot of times they have something else interesting in mind. And, and I also really want to caution you. It also depends on like how, what I would tell them also very much depends on whether they have ADHD or not. Um, you know, they, they, like we lose sight of the messy middle. There's a, so there's a great book called The Messy Middle, and it really talks about what the middle looks like because we have, you know, you know, we read books, we read articles. When you read an article about someone's success story, there's always like the beginning, like oh, here's the aha moment where they had what they wanted to do, and you usually have one story of when things went wrong, but the most of the article is about the success. And I think that that can be harmful because we lose sight of all of those success stories had quite a messy middle that they had to figure things out and move forward. And so I think that it, that change really depends. Like if it's along a continuum and a path and it makes a lot of sense and it's going to be bringing you closer to what you want by all means, go forth with my blessing. <laughs> if you're finding yourself changing out of fear though, or if you're finding yourself changing because it wasn't as successful as you wanted, I think that you really have to look at the underlying, um, what's going on to make sure that you are, you know, being true to yourself, being honest with yourself and, and, and not setting yourself up for disappointment. I think you're right. You know, setting yourself up for disappointment. We never intend to do that, but we can do it. And I think sometimes we get lost and we're not sure, oh, this is this is more energy than I thought it was going to be. This isn't producing the results that I thought it would. It's going to take a lot more time. And then we do, you know, we create we I don't think barriers ever go away. I think you're always as you move forward. What's the old, you know, saying two steps forward, one step back. I think not, we don't always are there, but it certainly can be. So we've got a couple of minutes left in the show and two things I want from you. One is if you would give people one takeaway, what would you want them to take away? And then the second is if people wanted to find you and reach out to you, how would they do that? So let's start with your takeaway. So I think my takeaway is, even if it doesn't go as fast as you want it, if you don't ever get started, it's never going to come. And so waiting until that perfect moment, it, it's not as safe as it feels like in the time. There's always going to be an excuse. And to find me, um, my name's Becca Ribbing, and I'm at BeccaRibbing.com. So that's B-E-C-C-A, Ribbing, R-I-B-B-I-N-G. And you can find the Clarity Journal at Amazon. Very good. And I think, you know, I've looked through the Clarity Journal and what impressed me was there's an awful lot of empty space. And that space that I, that, you know, we have to go inside our head and think about and fill that in. And that's, that's really where it starts is looking inward. And as I said earlier, you know, you can just ask yourself one question. What do you need? What do you need today? So, and I know we, there, we're all, looking for we all have great plans and great dreams to move on and I think that as you continue to have those there's nothing wrong with trying to get clarity on them even if 
it turns out it's not your path. And I think that's my takeaway is that whatever you decide to do, do it with your heart and be true to yourself because nothing ever will be better than when you're true to yourself. Becca, thank you so much for being with me today. I've enjoyed talking with you and I've gotten a little clarity on my PhD as we were talking. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio,